Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I brought you not one, not two, but three residents from the University of Wisconsin, Dr. Katherine Shaw, Dr. Sarah Lyon, and Dr. Pradeep Adeluri. Catherine is a PGY-5 soon-to-be chief. She went to undergrad at Westmount College and completed medical school at the University of Colorado. Her clinical interests include clinical trials and opioid reduction. Sarah is a PGY-3. She went to undergrad at Barnard College and medical school at the University of Chicago. Her interests include surgical education and microsurgery. And last but not least, Pradeep is finishing up his PGY-1 year. He went to undergrad and medical school at Texas Tech University and he's potentially interested in hand and extremity microsurgery, as well as gender affirmation surgery. Catherine, Sarah, Pradeep, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. First, I'd love to hear about the overall structure of your program. So I can get started a little bit, and I can say the structure has changed a little bit over the five years that I've um, been here. Overall, it's a six-year integrated program. We don't have any fellows, and there are no independent residents. So we have three slots per year, so three residents per year, and one resident from each class takes a year to do a research year. So kind of all in all, with the one person kind of taking a year out, we have 19 residents total. Overall, I think it's a really great program. The first couple years do have some general surgery rotations, um, but we've really cut back on that um, over the last several years. And Pradeep can maybe even tell you a little bit more about that because his experience is even different from what mine and Sarah's were. Yeah, so each one of us starts our first, the first three months will be the sole intern on our like university service for plastic surgery. And so that right away gets us a lot of early exposure um, to the field, but more importantly, I think we get to know our faculty, we get presented with research opportunities, and we also get to really know all of our co-residents too and, and get the chance to work with them. So it's just important, I think, from a lot of different standpoints to just integrate yourself into the program early on. And and it's great because, you know, no matter what service you end up being on, if you're on a general surgery service, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have protected conference time during um, during your general surgery years to to make sure that you're still integrated into the curriculum and constantly learning about all all things plastic surgery. So we and we have a great relationship with our general surgery department. Catherine has a particularly great relationship as she's married to a general surgery resident, but we get along great and it honestly just makes for for a really good um, experience while you're off service as well. Can you give a little bit of a specific breakdown per year? How many months you're able to spend on plastic services in the first three years? Essentially, we spend during your intern year about eight to nine, eight months on general surgery, three months on kind of adjunct. So like neurosurgery, um, emergency medicine, things like that. And then two months on plastic surgery. So the intern year is pretty general surgery heavy, but I think that's pretty, pretty common. Um, and we're trying to cut down on it as much as we can while still meeting like core uh, competencies. Um, then during your second year, um, we really increase the amount of time you get to spend on plastics. So next year, our second years are going to get to spend 
five months on our plastic surgery service, and then essentially like two months on a hand surgery service. And then there's um, a breast surgery rotation. And so really, we've cut down significantly on the amount of trauma and ICU rotations that our second years have to do, which is a huge improvement. Third year, we have, again, um, two dedicated months just on our UW service. Oh, and actually, we doubled that recently. So it's actually four months specifically on our UW service, so all, doing all the big reconstructions, as well as a rotation out at our cosmetic surgery center, Transformations, a rotation at one of our community hospitals called Meritor, a dedicated research block for about two months, and then a rotation on ENT doing head and neck recon with our ENT colleagues. And Sarah's currently finishing up her third year, so she can even tell you a little bit more potentially about what that's like. Yeah, I mean, the third year has been a huge learning and growth experience. And it's fun to be finishing up this year because I think you can actually, or I can feel, even though there is so far to go in terms of how much there is to learn, you know, I can feel like I've mastered some of the um, more routine consults and um, and now at the point where I can help some of our second years and, you know, eventually some of our um, interns go through the steps of walking through consults that you see in the emergency room and sort of triaging them and developing their own plans and helping them brainstorm together about how to approach different, you know, say if it's a, if it's a dog bite, which we did with one of, I did with one of our second years um, last week in the emergency room, or, you know, if it's a finger fracture, et cetera. So you can kind of see your growth in that way. And it's a fantastic year. You're in the operating room really all the time. And I feel like that's this has been the year where I've really felt my hands and my technical skills really grow. You mentioned one of the sites that you train at, Transformations, and then the University Hospital. Are there any other sites that you rotate at? We have several different sites that we rotate at. And I'll kind of, maybe I can talk about them geographically. We have a bit of a luxurious setup in that our main sites are all physically connected. So the UW Hospital, which is our main university hospital where our main reconstructive surgeries happen, the VA Hospital, as well as American Family Children's Hospital, are all connected together. And so we spend a lot of time there, and that's kind of our home base. That's where our conferences happen, um, and that's where the largest number of ORs are. As a part of some ancillary services, as Catherine was alluding to, we do other rotations. Uh, for example, during my third year, I did a, this rotation at Transformations Surgery Center, which is about a 10-minute drive uh, just west of the University Hospital. And that is an outpatient surgery center that for us is really uh, geared towards more cosmetic surgery, sort of routine outpatient plastic surgery procedures. So that's where we work a lot with some of our more senior attendings, Dr. Rao, Dr. Siebert, Dr. Fifi, doing cases like breast reductions and abdominal plasties and breast augmentation and gender mastectomies. And that's where you really kind of get thrown into the operating room and you get very adept pretty quickly at some of these routine operations. So that's a lot of fun. And it's just a nice place to be. I mean, it looks pretty, it's easy to get in and out of, and you get to know the nurses and the staff really well. So I think everybody says that that's just the highlight of the third year in a residency is working there. Meritor Hospital is another community hospital that falls now under the UW umbrella. It's about five minutes or so from our main university hospital, and we now do a dedicated rotation there as a third year. Meritor 
also has more of a general plastic surgery flavor to it. Um, we work with several attendings, but predominantly Dr. Larson, Dr. Jeff Larson, who trained also at UW here. One of the unique things that we get to do a lot on that rotation is a lot of local facial flaps for Mohs reconstruction. You know, in addition to the operative procedures, we do a lot of in-office procedures there too, which adds a unique sort of dimension to that rotation. And so getting to become adept at drawing bilobe flaps or like little nasolabial flaps or wedge excisions of the lip, that's where you get to get that experience. And that's great. We also do some rotations at some other ancillary outpatient surgery centers. Madison Surgery Center is very, is, you know, right in this like little downtown area in Madison as well. And that's where we do a lot of our hand surgery. We do very little, but occasionally go out to a place called the American Center, which is um, further on the east side, but um, our involvement there is a little bit more limited. So the driving is not too bad. And what area of plastic and reconstructive surgery would you say that residents come out with the strongest experience in? I always think back to when I was a rotating student at UW and I had been to a couple of programs and I felt like a lot of the programs that I had been to had a thing, like a mic they were a micro program or a nerve program, et cetera. But I remember thinking distinctly when I came to UW that I couldn't like really pinpoint that one thing within, you know, the plastic surgery realm that UW was at because I felt like it was really well distributed in terms of exposure. I feel like this is a pretty well-rounded program as far as I can tell. Um, and I think that that's reflected really well in the types of matches that our residents have gone on to do, you know, for their fellowships. Um, and we have people who are going into, for example, this year, we have one person going into microsurgery, one person doing a cosmetic surgery fellowship, another person going into hand, and another one doing general practice. The trend is that it's pretty well distributed. If you have a particular interest, you can tailor your experience to that. Or if you don't know what you want to do within plastic surgery, I feel like this is a great place to be because you can really explore and delve into each area. Catherine, as someone you know, near the end of your training, anything else you wanted to add about that? One thing I've noticed, and as I you know, have become more senior, know the chiefs all a little bit better. One huge benefit I think we have at our residency program is the lack of fellows. And I think the reason for that is that kind of like Sarah mentioned of like, you know, everyone can kind of potentially focus on one particular thing. We have enough flexibility in the way that we've designed our schedule as chiefs that you can almost treat your chief year like a mini fellowship in some ways. For example, um, a couple years ago, we had one chief that was interested in micro. I don't even know how many free flaps he did during his chief year, but he didn't have any fellows to compete with. and you know, he, so he got a ton. And one of our other chiefs was interested in craniofacial and she got literally any craniofacial case that she wanted. And so kind of just to piggyback on to, like Sarah mentioned, I think part of the reason that we can be so well-rounded and also become so independent is because we don't have any fellows and it's really a great opportunity. It's not uncommon now that like, if a chief and I are in a case together and the attending is you know, there and they've been, you know, involved in the case when it comes time for micro or something like that, they will say, hey, you know what, why don't you take Sarah through X, Y, or Z? Or why don't you do this together? And that's, that's really the, the culture here. And it, they know when you're ready to be pushed in that way. And it makes you grow 
an incredible amount and it strengthens the relationship between the juniors and the seniors. And you mentioned a little bit about the research structure, how one of the three residents takes a year for research. In general, what are the research expectations like and what are the opportunities for residents when it comes to research? That's a really good question. So all residents are encouraged to participate in research here at UW. There is no strict requirement in terms of number of publications that you have to have per year, et cetera. However, um, you are encouraged to sort of develop your own interests, whether that be clinical, whether that be basic science or translational, and to sort of seek out mentors accordingly. We do have a hired research coordinator that has been brought into our division specifically to help facilitate resident projects, whether that's subject recruitment, helping to amend IRBs, draft IRBs etc. to help make our lives a little bit easier, which has been a great addition. So the way in which residents are integrated into research is really different for each person. We have a lot of clinical projects going on. Catherine designed and is executing a couple of our randomized control trials that are now coming out of UW, having to do with sort of opioid use and plastic surgery procedures. But for those who are interested in basic science, Stampor is one of our attendings who uh, is also an MD-PhD, and he has several research grants from the Department of Defense, as well as uh, VA merit grants, um, and has a full running lab. And he is looking at sort of nerve regeneration, um, microsurgical education, and tendon healing as some of his primary interests. So there are a lot of opportunities to be involved in a basic science capacity, too. I can talk a little bit about like the clinical research component. So when I started residency, I was not necessarily very interested in research. And then I kind of developed a little bit of a passion for a question or kind of a passion for essentially the topic of opioid use and trying to decrease that. And essentially in partnering with some more senior residents and some faculty who essentially shared that, that interest. I have now been able to go on and of course, with the help of many other residents and faculty designed a prospective randomized trial. And even though it's one of those things I never saw myself doing something like that, and even though we're not a huge university per se, I think we have an excellent research infrastructure, particularly given our our size. And I have had all the resources that I've needed in order to make that happen. And that's totally essentially driven by residents. Of course, it always takes longer than you anticipate, so it's probably going to continue to be happening after I graduate, but that's okay. I'd like to hear about some of the other features of the program. Are there specific elective months available? We have built a month in as a fifth year. That's going to be a new thing next year, so that's kind of nice. But then currently, I'm looking for my next year at probably having about eight weeks of elective time. Uh, which is really nice. The other nice thing too is we also do allow people who are on their research blocks kind of are a little bit flexible with that, that it should be geared primarily towards a research uh, endeavors. But if they have a particular interest in seeing specific cases, that's also an opportunity. One common elective that senior residents will do is oculoplastics. We do get an opportunity to work with some oculoplastic surgeons at St. Mary's, another one of our community hospitals that we rotate at. But a lot of us really enjoy that and want to expand on that just to become a little bit more comfortable before we go into practice. Another elective that I'm honestly not sure how long it's going to remain on the elective 
uh, we kind of call it a transgender elective. And that is essentially facilitated by the arrival of Dr. Katie Gast a, f- a few years ago. Katie Gast has been an excellent addition. We had an incredible transgender training experience such that pretty much any resident coming from this program feels comfortable doing a fair amount of transgender surgery, including penile inversion vaginoplasties, some facial feminization, certainly top surgery, and some even get enough experience in phalloplasties. So essentially, as uh, she's been so popular, a lot of chief residents have really been focusing on her cases, and the opportunity to do the gender elective really allows you to have a focused experience, not only in clinic and clinical decision-making, seeing your post-op patients, but also gets allows you to focus on those cases. And then one final elective that some people will do is kind of rotate back on ENT to do the uh, a little bit more of the facial uh, cancer reconstruction, just to, again, get a little bit more of an experience, because we actually already get all of those things. But the truth is, the elective time is really what you make it. Are there any opportunities for international trips or uh, international health research? Absolutely. Global surgery has really been one of the sort of highlights and foundational like sort of pillars of our program uh, for many years. So we have had a collaboration with a program down in Nicaragua that has been longstanding. And it's been more of a partnership than, you know, us going down and just doing surgeries. We, we being, you know, Dr. DeBell and Dr. Bence and all these people who have come, you know, before us, had they set up basically a resident training program down in Nicaragua and they, they train, help to train those residents. They participate in our weekly conferences through sort of video conferencing and they are administered a board exam at the end of their training by our attendings. And so all of that to say that there is a very genuine interest in trying to participate in global surgery in a very meaningful and sort of long-lasting way. Our efforts have extended beyond Nicaragua. We are now exploring uh, global surgery sites uh, in several other countries, including, um, but not limited to, Vietnam, Ethiopia, Egypt, Myanmar, um, and Thailand as well. And each resident has an opportunity to go on a funded trip um, during his or her chief year to one of those sites. So obviously things have been a little bit uh, interrupted with uh, all of the recent coronavirus change, but one of our residents did a uh, two-week trip to Egypt where she she has a particular interest in cosmetic surgery, and so she got to sort of tailor that experience uh, more towards cosmetics, and, and she went with one of our attendings, Dr. Ahmed Afifi, who also trained there, and he really set up a lot of unique learning opportunities tailored to her interests. So residents can not only participate in those funded trips, but, you know, if they want to use their vacation time and if they want to go, then they are welcome on other trips as well. Can you describe a bit of what else is included in the cosmetic experience? Absolutely. I feel like our cosmetic experience is pretty strong, and that is led mostly by Dr. John Siebert and um, Dr. Ahmed Afifi. And they have had a very robust cosmetic training and cosmetic experience in their prior practice. 
So they do most of our cosmetic surgery out at Transformations. So not only are we participating in, you know, their OR cases, their facelifts, et cetera, but we are seeing and helping them with, you know, patients in the clinic, whether that's blepharoplasties or filler or injections, what have you. It's important for us to say that we don't have a resident clinic, but I think that we make up for that in a lot of other ways. We have a very specific resident-led injections clinic where we focus particularly on Botox and filler and occasionally laser as well. It's pretty, it's pretty popular. <laughs> um, and so that happens on a Saturday and patients come in, our attendings volunteer their time. You're basically, you know, getting to do those procedures with the guidance of an attending right there. And it's a fantastic learning experience. So those things together, I think, create a very robust cosmetic experience. And is there any opportunity for moonlighting throughout your training? You know, I'm probably the only one who can comment on this because uh, I'm probably the only one who has moonlighted. There are opportunities. There aren't very many of them. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, the moonlighting is almost like, oh, yeah, I guess. I think the kind of the amount that we get paid for the cost of living here in Madison is such that most residents don't necessarily feel the need to moonlight. The moonlighting is pretty popular with the general surgery residents during their research time. We are clinically busy enough that I think it's, you know, it can be a little bit of a strain, but there are some opportunities and it is allowed to a degree you have to get permission um, ahead of time. But actually, as far as, as far as I know, I'm not sure if anyone else has moonlighted, so it's, it's not very common. And are there any particularly awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? Oh, we get all the perks. We do get a food stipend. It just is dependent on how much call we take. So Pradeep's about to like cash in on that because during his PGY two years, he takes some good call through the SICU and through trauma. And so he'll have plenty of money to spend there. Usually it's a couple hundred bucks per year. In terms of funding for loops and other academic materials, we, we do get a stipend. You get um, $3,000 to be used throughout um, your residency and you can use that however you want. So a lot of people use that for loops. I personally did not. Um, I am using that mostly for books and occasionally to help with conferences or travel if needed. We don't get custom scrubs, but we do get Patagonias. And uh, that is orchestrated by our number one perk of our program, which is our program coordinator. Shout out to Alyssa Shappy because she is just absolutely the best. She makes our lives so good. She brings us snacks in the resident room. She makes sure that I have a Diet Coke in my hand whenever I walk by her office. And she's just the best. So she really makes our lives really good and makes sure that we're staying on top of everything that we need to and is really a positive addition to our program. Um, so she helps to coordinate the Patagonia orders. And then it just in terms of like other things that we do outside of the hospital, um, we get together a fair amount for, you know, academic and non-academic things. Pretty people talk a little bit about the non-academic things in a little bit, but academically related. We have a journal club every month that's hosted by um, our faculty members at their houses mostly. <laughs> so they invite us all over and, you know, in the summer months we, you know, have Chipotle and then we discuss the articles and then we play volleyball for a while. Or at Christmas time, Dr. Siebert has us over to his house. And I think last year we ended up watching the Queen concert down in his basement at, after we 
you know, had a couple glasses of wine and talked about all of our journal articles. So it's a lot of fun and it's a great opportunity for us to see their families too. And then we also get to do something called professor's hours, which happens every couple of months, either Dr. Bentz or Dr. Salyapong, really out of their own just interest, just take us to dinner and sit us down and just say, hey, what's going on? You know, how are you feeling about X, Y, and Z? And what are you worried about? And here's what might be coming down the pike, or here's what I've been hearing. And it's just fun because you get to really just chat with them. And and it just shows how really invested they are in us. And it makes us want to invest more in this program. I think one of the coolest things is that we have a a micro lab that we can we can go to, and um, I think that's a huge perk of the program. So Wai Feng, who is he was an actual plastic surgeon in China, did thousands of like digital replants, um, and he is extremely talented. In his lab, they developed the blue blood chicken thigh model, and we all get to use that to practice micro on and. He videotapes you, he sits down with you and reviews technique with you. And you get to start that as early as you want. If you want to start day one of uh, of intern year, then then you get to start. And it's been great. Like I've been able to go starting intern year and he's so helpful. And especially like as an intern, I really appreciate his patience so much. He is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I mean, he comes to our grand rounds, is so like involved in, in the department, and we're also thankful for him. So um, it, it really, I think he's amazing, and the micro lab is definitely a, an awesome perk. You briefly mentioned your chief and your program director, but I would love if you could tell me a little bit more about them. Dr. Bentz is uh, our chairman, and he, or our, our chief of plastic surgery, and he is really the cornerstone of our program. He is one of the most compassionate and driven people that you'll probably ever meet. And uh, he really sets the tone for our division and for how residents will approach their work and how they should be interacting with other people. It doesn't matter if it's the janitor or if it's their co-resident or if it's a medical student and everyone in the hospital just adores uh, Dr. Bentz. He's very prominent within the field of plastic surgery. He's been the, you know, the chair of the American Board of Plastic Surgery. He's been the president of the AAPS, um, and he's written prolifically about plastic surgery education, work-life balance within the plastic surgery realm, um, as well as global health. And he is just an unbelievable asset to our program. And I think all of us feel like we're lucky to be learning from him. I just wanted to share a quick story. So it was my first month of intern year, and it was my first weekend on and and we had just finished rounding and we were rounding on some of Dr. Bentz's patients as well. And so I got a page on my pager and it just said, you know, Michael Bentz with his uh, phone number. And I was like, uh Oh, and I was like, well, you know, probably just going to talk about, uh, talk about his patients and hear some updates or whatever. And first he did not call to hear about his patients because he already knows, you know, everything that's going on. He called to ask, how I was doing just as a human being starting intern year, how everything is going, transitioning, wanted to make sure that I was like being taken care of and see how I was like being integrated into the team and whatnot. I mean, ever since then, and especially through with everything going on with COVID, he has multiple times reached out to to make sure that we let our families know that that we're safe here and that 
we've got our entire department here to, to help look after us too and that we're safe with all of them as well. And I think whenever you have leadership that kind of builds that culture, it really does permeate throughout the entire division. And you can see it. We have a shared learning experience amongst all of our residents. You know, everyone teaches everyone. And I think it, it he just kind of builds that culture throughout all of our faculty and all of our, of our residents. And I mean, it's, it's been great. And how about your program director? So Dr. Sayupong is currently our program director. I think that our relationship with Dr. Sayupong is hard to describe in words. He is fantastic. He's um, primarily a hand surgeon, but of course, you know, he knows lots of plastic surgery. So he's also a great um, mentor for free flaps. He allows us an incredible amount of autonomy um, in the operating room. And I'll also kind of share a story. I remember there was a day that um, three of us residents had done a free flap while he essentially sat in the corner watching us the whole day for a lower extremity reconstruction. And then at the end of the day, after the case finished and it went well, he took us across the street for dinner. And we all sat down and had dinner and a beverage together. And then he said, okay, so my routine is now after dinner, I go back and I check on the flap. And then if it's okay, I, I go home and I and I go to bed and I sleep well. And then if it's not, well, you know, then I know there's a problem and I can still fix it. That's one of those, just one story. I have so many of having a drink or a meal with Dr. Sayupong that was well-timed and kind of showed me a different side of him and taught me something different. He cares about us and he, he shows it in um, a way that you probably wouldn't see from most program directors. You can always rely on him for very honest feedback. I mean, everybody will give you good feedback, but Dr. Sayapong is in the operating room. He has very, you know, high expectations. He wants you to be performing at your best. And so he keeps you on your toes in the, in the OR and uh, really pushes you uh, in terms of your operative skills. Um, and so particularly when, our, when we're on our hand surgery blocks, we grow, and that's one of the first times that we're really in the OR, at least it was for me when I was a, a two, you see yourself grow a lot in that setting. Are there any other notable faculty members that you'd like to mention? So Dr. Mount was actually recently uh, made president of ASMS, and she is a whiz at craniofacial surgery and now recognized uh, nationally for it. I mean, Dr. Siebert People come to him from all over the world, sometimes like people from Europe, and we don't speak their language. And he, because he is world renowned for his Perry Romberg and facial reconstruction. And even though, you know, some attendings may be more famous or more well known, I'll say every single one of my attendings, I can honestly say that I have a unique relationship with each of them. Um, and I love a component of my relationship with each of them. So, I love our residency program. I think University of Wisconsin is a great place to be. And I think one of the significant components of that is the relationships that we develop with our attendings and also with each other through that because they kind of set an example for us. One of the things I didn't really appreciate until I got to residency um, that I now appreciate is that we have attendings that are really all at different stages of their careers. And when I first started some of our attendings were just starting, Dr. Gonder and Dr. Gass were just starting their practices. So seeing how they're adjusting post-fellowship to beginning a new academic surgery practice versus some of our more senior attendings, uh, you know, watching Dr. Rao or Dr. Benz or Dr. Siebert, you know, they've been doing this for several years and have figured out what works well for them. 
seeing operations from each of them and their perspective to different problems from those different stages of their careers is immensely helpful um, because you just get so many different ways to approach problems and it just adds tools to the toolbox. And now shifting focus a bit more to the residents and the community amongst the residents, how would you describe the general vibe and relationships there? It was exactly as advertised on interview day. I think hearing resident um, presentations and everyone kind of has like this genuine interest. They all had inside jokes and everything like that. And you could tell they were just a close knit group of people. And as soon as, as soon as I found out that I'd matched here, I got a couple of wedding invitations. I got invited to Pete's bachelor party. And this was all just because, you know, it it is a very close knit group of people. Obviously we all share the common interests and we all see each other at work and build great memories that way. But everyone has like a genuine interest in, in making sure that we all get together. I know that things recently have made that much harder, but we've been doing Zoom conferences. We've been, you know, still doing like Friday wines and, and different things like that. So I think that this has really been one of the best things. And I'm so thankful to have all of my co-residents you know, actually become friends and, and family. So it's been great. And now a few logistics about the resident lifestyle. Do most residents own or rent? It's a pretty uh, fair mix, I would say. And again, kind of the nice thing about the stipend that we receive in comparison with the cost of living in Madison is you can really kind of work out with your budget what works best for you. So if residents prefer to rent an apartment and not have that burden, great. If you prefer to rent a house, you can probably find something within your budget. If you want to be really close to the hospital or close to downtown, you can find something in your budget. So I would say it's it's a pretty varied mix just depending on kind of life choices. Um, so people with kids are more likely to have a house, turns out. But other than that, it's a pretty wide variety. And are most residents single, married with kids, or somewhere in between? I'd say that also kind of, it actually kind of evolves with you. So when I started, there were more single residents. And then kind of over the course of six years, many of us got married. Um, and then some of us even had kids. Um, and then, you know, some more junior residents come that are single, um, or they may bring a significant other. So it really, it really varies. The nice thing about Madison is it's actually if you are single coming unattached as I did. There are a lot of, uh, because we have Epic right next to us and a lot in a university, we have actually a lot of uh, professional young adults in the area. So it's a great place to meet people. But if you have, um, if you are already married or in a relationship and have kids or anything like that, it's also a really family friendly city. Madison's a great place to live. I think essentially for, for all comers, the winters are a bit long. But if you're well outfitted, you'll be just fine. And I'm from Texas and I survived the winter. It was great. I honestly it, I thought it was a great winter. There's tons of, you know, stuff to still do. Like there's a lot of activities because people are accustomed to living like that up, up here. And so it's it makes it a lot easier whenever whenever you have people that are used to the winters that can that can show you how to go about navigating the uh the winter time. You made it an impressively long time, though, without a winter coat. Like, it was getting into this, like, 
below freezing and he comes into the resident room and is like, I need to go buy a winter coat today. And I was like, how do you not have a winter coat yet? We got him directed to the, to the North Face store. Would you say it is necessary to have a car? 100% yes. I mean, there are times when you can bike to work or walk to work, depending on where you live. But with the winters here and with the different sites that we work at, having a car is a must. And any other thoughts about why you like Madison? I personally, having come from two other bigger cities um, where the school spirit was not as pronounced, uh, for me, living in Madison is really, I've still found it to be extremely fun. I mean, I find the culture and the spirit of Madison to be really vibrant. I love living in a university town. You know, when there's football games on over the weekend, the whole town gets excited. It's a great place to be. There's, you still have the major like theater productions coming through here. There's still great concerts that are happening. If you wanted to go down to Chicago, you can. If you want to go to Milwaukee, you can. And we're near all of these awesome lakes. So in the middle of the summer, if you want to go for a boat ride or you want to do paddleboard yoga or Dr. Benz decides he wants to take the residents out on his boat, which he does, you know, here and there spontaneously, you, you know, you can go out on Lake Mendota and it's a great little getaway. So I think that's about everything that I wanted to cover today. Any concluding thoughts either on your program specifically or on the overall process of choosing a residency program? I would say try to match the motivation style. Like try to reflect on how you're, you are motivated as a person. You know, do you rely on other people sort of helping you and holding you to X bar or, you know, sort of explicitly, or is are you a more internally motivated person? And here, I think our program really works on an internal motivation model. I mean, the attendings treat us so well, uh, and our senior residents treat the juniors so well that you are really motivated to work hard. And I think you have to do some reflection as a student and as an applicant to see which program will match you in that way. It's not for everybody, if you, but if you learn that way, this is like, it's the best. It was a little while ago, but I remember fourth year of medical school. It was scary. It was daunting choosing to go into plastic surgery. I kind of felt like, oh my gosh, did I get myself in over my head? Was this really the right choice? And I'll say, even though my fourth year of medical school was exciting and scary, I know it's going to be really different for everyone this year. So just know that everyone in the plastic surgery community is thinking about you and, you know, is trying to understand what you're going through and you'll get through it. And so just obviously just interviewing pretty recently, I think it's about going to a place where you're going to feel very comfortable with what your inherent personality kind of matches up with. Residency, no matter where you go, is going to end up, you know, it's going to be a, a lot of hard work and, and you're going to be tested a lot of the time. And so it's really important to go to a place where your personality is going to match the style of teaching there and you're going to feel like you're supported and you're going to feel like you're being taken care of and and being pushed to your limits to make sure that you're going to be the best surgeon that you can be and and be the best person that you can be. And I think that, that that's probably the most important thing to look at, you know, whenever you're thinking about a place and, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I think we, I mean, we have an amazing here and I, and I hope that, you know, more people get a chance to experience it, but yeah, I definitely think we have it great here. 
So if students and applicants want to find out more about your program, how should they go about doing that? We have a couple of different social media um, outlets. So you can follow us on Instagram at UWISC Plastic Surgery, or you can follow us on Twitter at WISC Plastic Surge. Or if you have specific questions, we are available, the residents are available and happy to help answer questions. Our emails are on our website. And, you know, at least for me, I won't speak for everybody, but at least for me, you know, people can feel free to reach out and uh, email with questions. On the PSRC Instagram, there was a, a week of takeover that we did from, you know, kind of highlighting the University of Wisconsin program. And there was a team of residents that put together the the takeover and it just kind of goes through what a week in the life of residency here kind of is like in terms of your case variety and in the different rotations that are set up. And, and it was honestly a, a great video. And, and I think that kind of watching that will take you through a little bit about what a week is like. And so I think that'd be another great thing to check out as well. Thank you guys so much for speaking with me today. I really enjoyed it. And I think anyone listening to this will get a lot of fantastic information about your program. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's drity.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.